Today on Being With, we talk with Imelda Dakoto. He is a loving wife, mother, creative, and daughter of Honduran immigrants, based in Baltimore, Maryland. She leads the Pray With Our Feet podcast with her mother, Trudy, lifting up the intersection of progressive faith and social justice. She also serves as the founder of the Women's Creative Chat, a community centering wellness empowerment for women of all artistic disciplines. All right. Well, E, welcome to Methods. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I thought it'd be nice to give listeners a little bit of background about yourself and the kind of work you do. Sure. So I am the daughter of a Honduran immigrant. He came here. My dad came here when he was in his in his early 40s. And that really has informed a lot of my life and really driven me to focus on social justice, on the rights of immigrants, those who are often pushed to the margins. When I was younger, I started with writing poetry at like eight or nine years old. And I've always been a person that loves the arts. And at the same time, um, both my parents were heavily involved, my mom and my dad, heavily involved in the church. And so we would have Bible studies often on Sundays after dinner. And I was always that kid that was asking questions about why is this that way? Why does God look at, you know, various um, folks in, in, in this way, just always asking questions and trying to understand. Um, and so that, journey really led me, even though I was in a nine to five position for about 10 years doing like nonprofit arts kind of work, it really wasn't my total calling, the the position that I had. And I was always doing things on the side, freelance writing on the side. And I started a blog. And then from there, um, when I left that full-time job after I had my daughter to be home with her, I started getting more deeply into my faith and started the Pray With Our Feet community uh, on Instagram. And then I've always been a lover of podcasts. So I thought, why don't I do my own? Because when I was younger, my brother and I would always um, play like all these make-believe games like most kids play. And I would always like to be doing like the reporter game, mm-hmm. you know, pretending that I was in front of a camera talking, interviewing people. So it just, I don't know, I guess it was just a natural progression. And then the other um, work that I do is Women Creatives Chat, which is a community that centers wellness and um, empowerment for creative women and really gives us a space to come together and connect with each other. Um, and so, yeah, those those are my two main projects. And I really feel like they fulfill me in in a lot of different ways. They fulfill the arts focus that I have. And then also just trying to get deeper into my faith and through prayer and meditation and that kind of stuff. You are busy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm, I'm so glad to have you on because, you know, I've, I've had other people on before that are, you know, either, uh, theologians or meditation teachers or contemplative prayer authors or or anything like that but i haven't unfortunately till now had anyone on that had their 
you know, one foot in the contemplative dimension and one foot in the activist dimension. So I'm really glad that you can speak to that. So what is it like in that intersection between faith and social activism? And how, like, how do you experience that as someone who's trying to integrate the two, I guess? You know, I really see social justice and activism and Christianity is inextricably linked because I think that when we read the Bible, you know, when you read Isaiah, when you read Proverbs, and this is my favorite scripture verse, Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, um, you know, that we have to speak up for all of those who are oppressed and see that, that they get justice. Um, I, I really think that we are called over and over again in the Bible to that kind of work. And unfortunately, it has been diluted by corporate Christianity and this overemphasis on money and, um, you know, what you as a, as a congregant, um, you know, as a member of the church can do for the minister instead of, and the church, instead of how we can get outside of the church. Mm -hmm. And um, if we don't move from the pew to the picket line, whether that is physically or, because of course right now we're dealing with COVID, but virtually, like we are, we are called to be active. We are called to look at prayer as one step connected to many other steps. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I really don't see it as, as, as um, it's not really difficult for me to navigate within those spaces because I had a podcast um, guest on recently, um, Reverend Dr. Heber Brown, and he was talking about the importance of seeing God, seeing Jesus as a community organizer. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we pull back and, and really think about how Jesus came into the world, he was born in a manger. You know, he didn't come into great, you know, wasn't born into great wealth, you know, and we're told over and over again that it's the the soul of, of the individual that God looks on the heart. And somehow we have gotten, you know, corporate Christianity, I feel, and, um, you know, all this dogmatic approach to stuff. It's gotten it wrong. We have to get back to the basics and really read the gospel and really sit with what Jesus said, not what we want to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a difficult, that's a tall order. You know, yeah. we, we, lo we love to hear what we what we want to hear. <laughs> Sometimes we can't hear anything else. That is so true. And, 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 you know, I think the other thing about that is while social media is a great tool, it really is. Um, also people can get in echo chambers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of the problem now too, is there isn't really a dialogue. Mm -hmm. it, this is what I think. And if you're opposed to that, I don't want to hear what you have to say at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really contentious thing I've I've seen with the whole cancel culture issue. And on the one side, you have you know people coming from the attitude of you know mental health and you know saying that if you don't have the bandwidth to deal with somebody, you know you just shut them out or you know cancel them, I guess in a way. But on the other perspective, you have people saying like, well, that creates this echo chamber, and then all you hear is what is what you think and then then you don't grow and then you don't create connections with those other people and bridge those those gaps so so what about if you know if someone has a super racist uh 
just ignorant person in their life that constantly spouts all sorts of nonsense. How do how do you bridge the gap between canceling them all together and then letting yourself kind of get run over by them? I think that you have to be honest about where you stand. Like there's certain language that you won't tolerate. And I've said that to people when they've said things that were homophobic or transphobic. Um, and you just explain your stance and how you feel and that you don't use that, that language. Um, and then honestly, and I'm not saying this is canceling them, but you may have to separate yourself from them. If every conversation is somehow turning back to that, that's not healthy for you mentally. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you can express, like I'm saying, you can express how you feel and why you feel that way. And then they can take it or leave it. And most of, most of the time, if it's someone like that, they'll probably leave it. I feel like the other thing too, is like people have to awaken when it's time for them to awaken. Yeah. Even if we really want them to awaken now, sometimes the more you say, the more they resist. So I feel like you say it, and, you know, pray for them that God will open their heart, open their mind, and then you just have to leave it. Yeah, I, th yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, um, I, had a, I had a meeting with some, some church leaders, and we were talking about, I think it was abortion. I was part of a pretty liberal, you know, progressive church, and the conversation was kind of like a little roundtable on abortion, and it was kind of centered on what can we do to convince people that don't think like we do that we are correct and and I just kind of like took a step back and and I, I brought it up that like I don't think this is the correct way to go about it because I don't know I feel like things like like socially charged issues like abortion or homophobia or racism or all those things they're not information driven they're not a logical opinion, you know, they're, people don't say, well, because of this, therefore that, therefore, I believe this, it's, it's almost like a gut, emotional, spiritual attitude. And so if you come at someone that is extremely homophobic or racist with facts, like, you're just, you know, throwing paper at a brick wall, like it's not, it's not going to do much. And you kind of have to listen to someone on the emotional and spiritual level <clears throat> where those things originate to to gain any ground so so yeah i definitely agree with you about that and and so many people have woken up over the past 4 years to the nature of institutional racism of the church's complicity in um in white supremacy and i mean hopefully too many people won't go back to brunch now that um, Biden's president, but like from the tragedies of, of Brianna and George and Ahmad and so many others, more people seem to be stepping into this like anti-racism role. So could you give a little bit of your take on what anti-racism is and how it relates to spiritual practice? Sure. I think that anti-racism is really about committing to seeing people as people, um, but also not um, 
but but also challenging racism whenever you see it. So not just saying that I'm not a racist, but then if someone says something or does something, you don't say anything. Like it's actively speaking up. I think it's also actively continually educating yourself about the lived experiences of people who differ from you. Um, so like, you know, that even within communities of color, you know, like what else can I learn about, you know, folks who are of Asian descent? What else can I learn about, um, well, I'm Afro-Latinx because my dad is from Honduras, but like what else can I learn about those communities? So I think it's like really actively learning. I think it's also about supporting um, folks too, like if there is a person of color that has a business and you like their products, buy their products, you know, like it's, it's, it's all these sort of, um, I feel like everyday practical ways and it's, and it really is why you're doing it. Continue to learn because you want to build bridges with people instead of walls. Um, and, and it really also involves deeply listening, um, which I think is something that is definitely connected to meditation and contemplative prayer. Um, I think when we get quiet and, and when we listen and when we are focused on seeing the world, not only as we see it, but as other people see it, that we grow spiritually. Cause that's what, I mean, that's what God is always calling us to. And the kingdom of heaven that we are supposed to be bringing to earth is diverse. It's people from all different backgrounds and ethnicities and, you know, and life experiences. So I really think that committing to anti-racism is, is, is multi-pronged. I'm sorry if that's a super long <laughs> definition, but I just think that, that, it is about committing, mm -hmm. deeply committing to that work every day. I made a video on my page maybe like two or three weeks ago about, about how anti-racism is daily work. And I really hope that people don't go back to sleep because Biden is in there because um, institutionalized racism and marginalizing people based on ability and all those things haven't gone anywhere. Mm -hmm. And if we go back to sleep, we're going to find ourselves four years from now fighting off another Donald Trump because those those folks um, and those extreme views have been part of America since the inception of this country. I mean, we got to really think about it's founded on the genocide of the indigenous on the enslavement of Africans. You talk about the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1800s. So it's all throughout American history. So it's gonna take a deep and sustained commitment to undoing and unlearning that. Yeah, well put. I I read uh, Ibram Kendi's book, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and and he talks about all these different levels that that there are of anti-racism. But one of the ones that that he stresses is is policy, and like that it almost it almost was reminiscent of of Paul, I think, in the in the epistles that you know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, and and so that switch from my racist uncle is my enemy or my, 
you know, transphobic aunt is my enemy to the ideas and the policy and the structure that shape their opinions are the enemy. Because I think truly, like I said, on that emotional decision level, like they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know that they're crucifying their sister, their brother, that they're acting in opposition to the gospel in that sense. But with all those different levels, I, I don't think it, and, and Kendi says this as well, but that it doesn't stop at, you know, this um, anti-racism in itself. Like, it's, it's also tied to anti-capitalism and anti-colonialism and anti-militarism, and all those things are bound up together. You can't just unravel one piece of it. The whole thing's got to unravel. So, so how do you how do you view all those disparate elements together? Mm, that's a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> and as you were talking, as you were talking about him, I was thinking about King because King, you know, at the end of his life, he really became a revolutionary. Um, and I think that we get the sanitized version of him when it comes time for MLK Day. People mm. focus on the quote they want to pull. But he was calling with the Poor People's Campaign, with calling out the war in Vietnam. He was saying that all of this is connected or as um, Kimberly Crenshaw says, you know, or has lifted up that concept that we all know now is intersectionality. All these different forms of oppression are linked. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it really what has happened with the pandemic and people being home now more and, and, and being activated, um, it, it really is challenging us to look at how these systems are impacting us on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't, I don't, you know, I think we really have to think about capitalism and, 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 and if we're going to be able to be anti-racist, and undo all these other forms of injustice when you have an economic system that is creating layers upon layers of oppression. Like, can you really be, um, can you really say that you're committed to anti-racism and uphold capitalism? Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. And then it's like, well, how, I mean, everything in this society is organized in that way. How do you move away from that? I'm still, oh, I'm still wrestling with a lot of it. Yeah, it's tough because we're in that system. We can't, you know, just opt out of it. Or most people can't opt out of it. Maybe if you have, you know, resources at your disposal to go live off the grid or, or however, then, then you can. But most people don't have that ability. It's tough. You know, I will say, though, that I am encouraged by people who I see doing collective work. Um, like there's a bookstore, um, I'm in Baltimore and there's a bookstore here called Red Emma's and it's worker owned. It's a collective. They've been around now probably 10 years or more. They've expanded. I've watched them because they started in a little small room and then they expanded to a bigger space and now they're in a huge space. So I think it is possible, but it just, like, I think it's possible to create your own spaces that are in opposition to capitalism within a capitalist system, which is what I, which is what I feel like we would have to do at this moment, because trying to shift the entire society to anti-capitalism is going to take a long time. Yeah. But I think 
we can create our own bubbles um, that are sustainable and that are, you know, what King called the beloved community. I think we can do that. It just, it's just going to take um, a commitment to radical imagination and really doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that grassroots approach definitely is because I mean, the, the whole military industrial complex, you know, the, the way that our politics in the United States is set up, it's, it's so big. And, you know, on the, the large scale to shift large ways of doing things, we, I don't think we have a lot of power, but we do have a lot of power in our immediate circle. And there's a lot of people, you know, my father included that just feel like this is the best option we have. Like capitalism is just what works. We've tried everything else. Doesn't work. This is just what works. So let's go with that. And so I think we have to do it on that grassroots level to show people that, no, this, this is possible, you know, to do things a different way. So it's a different approach to the whole, I guess, state socialism, you know, level. I feel like if something is progressive and it doesn't work right off, people just say, okay, well, we tried, it didn't work. But right. I feel like with capitalism, there are things that have been tried within the capitalist system that didn't work, but we haven't thrown it away. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost invisible. A, yeah, yeah, and 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 I I do think you know I was and I was saying earlier about social media and it being polarizing, but um, at the same time it offers you know opportunity for community, and I think that that's another way to show people, hey, another world is possible. We're over here doing this. I, I just feel like the more people see it, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I think also that, you know, some of this boils down, a lot of it boils down to the education system in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, not really having, not, I don't, I don't want to generalize and say that every, every school in the country, but there isn't enough of an emphasis on imagination. There's more like, okay, let's regurgitate these facts. Mm-hmm. This is how it is. And that's it. And so I think that's where it's up to us as, um, if you're, whether you're a parent, I mean, I have a little girl, um, or if you are in someone's life that has kids, you know, um, just like really trying to help kids think outside of the box. That's where it starts, like parenting or mentoring that those are revolutionary actions. Mm -hmm. To spark that, that creativity that how it is doesn't mean that's how it has to be. Exactly. Because if we look at our history and our, her story, we will see that, you know, there have, there have always been folks who have been willing to push beyond the bounds of what was lifted up as possibility. Mm-hmm. If we don't do that, then we get the same thing over and over again. Yeah, when people try something new, the first thought is that they're, they're a rebel or they're insane. And, and that's how people get, get crucified. They try something different. So one of my theories is, and this is partly something that I take, again, from um, Ibram Kendi, is that beneath all of the politics and beneath all of the personal opinions of, of people on capitalism, on uh, transgender issues, on LGBT issues, anti-racism, on all of that, and this is something that I've kind of found personally with people that I know, <clears throat> is that the people that hold these positions that are harmful, a lot of times are good people. 
they're just they just either one have bad information and so they think that they're taking the compassionate route when they're actually not or they are kind of consumed by self-interest and kendy talks about that about how like a lot of times the people that are functionally racist and functionally participating in a system that's harmful are not the people wearing white hoods or you know wearing swastikas or whatever it's the people that just want to have enough money to take a vacation or the people that that just want to have a comfortable ride in a car and so they you know get a, a vehicle that you know gets 12 miles to the gallon or you know this this self-interest aspect of I want to create a life that's good for me, that aggrandizes myself, and may even be unconscious, I guess, in that way. I think <clears throat> that's where the spirituality component comes in, is that any deep-rooted spirituality is self-affirming in that, you know, it tells you that, you know, you belong and that you're, you're important. But on the other side, it also says that you are, and we are, we are not the individual selves, you know, we are a collective group of what the universe is doing. And so we don't have to chase self-interest because ultimately that self-interest will, will harm both the world and ourselves in that way. And so it kind of subverts the self-interest to, I guess, create a, a larger version of the self. Then the self isn't just me, the self is us. Personally, that's where the, the spirituality portion comes in is to subvert that self-interest piece. I agree with you. I think that, you know, when we, when we read the Bible, when we pray, when we meditate, um, we come to understand that we are not separate. And that's the thing about capitalism. Capitalism lifts up individualism, individual accomplishment. I did it all by myself. Mm -hmm. But God's kingdom and the way that the way that um you know we we experience god is not it's just me it's in community you go to the church in community you connect with other um like-minded people particularly if you're a progressive christian online in community so it's like it's the total opposite and as you were talking i was thinking well two things there's a quote from Dr. King, and I, I love this speech. This is from A Testament of Hope, The Essential Writings and Speeches. Um, it may well be that we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. I come back to that speech from time to time because and those and particularly the words you know that he that he offered us later in his life because it really is a constant challenge we have to move from complacency to a place of courage and we have to understand that that's going to be difficult that you're going to have to sit in discomfort a lot and but without that discomfort, we're not going to be able to have fundamental and sustainable transformation and shifts in society. Yeah, that's that's just what it you know, what it's going to be. The other thing that I thought about as you were talking to was um, the South African 
philosophy and it's been lifted up in other countries in, in Africa as well of Ubuntu. I am because you are like, we are inextricably linked. You come here, you come out of the womb from your mother, you're connected to her, you're connected to your family. And even if, even if you have trauma family wise, you're connected to friends, you're connected to somebody. The point is that we're not in this alone. And I think that is why it's important to, for us to really also examine how we're digesting certain ideas that capitalism lifts up individual mm -hmm. achievement, work hard, just keep going. Just not there's anything wrong with working hard or wanting to achieve, but when it becomes to the point where it's like an idol mm -hmm. and you can't be in community with other people because you're so buried in everything, then it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's a problem. And that's where I think there's something that I've, that I lean on to help me is journaling. Journaling, journaling is really, really important because journaling is really important because it really helps you to take that time for self-reflection. Mm -hmm. And we're in a culture where we're bombarded with distractions. The phone, like you guys just heard my phone probably, <laughs> um, you know, social media, email, and we don't really have a chance to step back and we're inundated now in a way that we never were in, in any other historical period. So I think that's a lot of it. People don't have time to just sit and think. What, what you said brought up this idea, and I'm sure you've, you've got a good take on it, but spiritual bypassing in, in the community, because you have people that are not spiritual at all on either side of a social issue. And then you have the people that are, you know, call themselves, you know, spiritual, but not religious or, or however, that are kind of in that, I don't want to call any specific group out, but they're kind of into that um, toxic positivity, you know, love and light, you know, like everything will be fine. Like it kind of is reminiscent of the evangelical kind of give it all to God kind of thing. And I think there's like, there's a mature understanding of that. And then there's an immature understanding of that. So what's the difference between, you know, spiritual bypassing and being rooted in spirit while being engaged? I think spiritual bypassing is I don't want to do the work mm. because I don't want to be uncomfortable and um, I don't want to face this. And I know that for some people, it's difficult to deal with social justice issues because it could be a mental health issue. And as I was saying, or, you know, just, just a few moments ago, how we're inundated with stuff. So I can understand that. I'm not really necessarily talking about those people, but I'm talking about folks that just don't want to engage with anything at all because they don't want their comfort zone disturbed. Um, on the other hand, if you are, you know, a progressive Christian, a person that considers yourself to be spiritual, um, you're you're not seeing activism and speaking up and trying to make a difference as separate from your faith. You see it as a part of it, mm -hmm. um, and you go to God in prayer about social justice issues. It's 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 not like something that's out there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's it's to me it's a more holistic um approach um and i think you know 
again, a lot of times people say stuff like just pray um, about it as an excuse, because if they have to start wrestling with it, learning more about an issue, maybe that means that they have to change something about themselves and they don't want to do that. We're also in a culture where people, no one wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to make a mistake, which goes back to what you were saying about cancel culture being, you know, being so, being so pervasive. And I think that the huge downside to that is it cuts off dialogue. Mm -hmm. And then people say, well, I don't want to say anything at all because whatever I say, somebody's going to be offended. So I'm just not going to say anything that can contribute to spiritual bypassing. Also, people feel like they're doing the right thing by not saying anything and just praying about it. But again, God calls us over and over again in the scriptures to be aware of the world that is around you, not so spiritual that you are disconnected Mm -hmm. from suffering. I'm trying to remember if it's John or James. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase, but basically you know, if your brother is hungry and you just say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll pray and you don't do anything. Well, (laughs) you're in the earthly realm. Mm -hmm. So you need to do something. You need to speak up and people can do that in different ways. Everybody is not going to be, you know, wanting to be on video, wanting to start a community, but maybe there's, there's, there are other ways that you can do that through learning, through connecting with people who are you know, who think differently than you. So I really think it's about a commitment to seeing your faith and experiencing your faith as expansive, Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying this, like this very rigid way of, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to go to church, and I'm not going to think about anything else. That's such a tough perspective for people to take that are so emotionally invested in, you know, how other people view them. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. E, thank you for coming on today and just giving Methods listeners uh, a different perspective on spirituality, one that's engaged with the world and not uh, apart from the world. So where can people find you online and, and keep track with what you're doing? Sure. So I'm at, at Pray With Our Feet on Instagram and Twitter. Um, if you're interested, if you're a woman listening um, and you're interested in wellness and being in community with other creative women, I am at Women Creatives Chat on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, I do Instagram lives on both in both communities um, from time to time. So like with Women Creatives Chat, I have a regular wellness Wednesday. It's usually towards the end of the month where I have different wellness practitioners come on. Sometimes I'm on um, speaking about various ways that we can just continue to practice self-care, community care. Um, I did want to share one more thing before um, we wrap. And that's this powerful quote. I'm a quote person, so I'm sorry. Every podcast I do, always share um, quotes, but this is from Fannie Lou Hamer and I posted it on pray with our feet. I don't know, but maybe three weeks ago or so. No, it was in December. Uh, She said, you can pray until you faint, but unless you get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. Mm. So always encourage people to just stay activated, stay connected with God because social justice And, you know, being out in the world and in community is a form of prayer. Yes, so well put. 
Well, thank you, E. I appreciate you and, and all the work that you're doing. And um, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yes, thank you so much.